Here we are, December 11th, 2016, lecture discussion number 265 on the Book of Romans. And for the folks who follow us by means of the internet, that would be that camera right there. Uh, the class will be adjourned until January the 8th. So um, uh, understand that. Sometimes they write and ask if the authorities have actually finally caught up with me and I am no longer operational. But uh, we are intentionally taking our winter intermission uh, over the, for the 25th and the 1st. And that, by hope, uh, will allow for the... Notice I almost said the phrase, it can't be said, but I, I stopped myself. We'll have some opportunity to install... Uh, for the installation of the replacement equipment that was stolen from us a few weeks ago, recently. And as I was saying to the uh, class in the pregame here, the uh, CLDA investigative unit uh, has located the, the device that was stolen on the Internet, and we know who has it, and uh, we know also to stay away from them. In any event, uh, that's uh, the police are hopefully trying to help us out here, but who knows, the equipment is probably beyond uh, resuscitation. But uh, all of that to say that the sound quality is going to be restored at some point to its previous state, and uh, we'll use some of this time, this intermission, to do that. The video imaging is a completely different matter. <laughs> it, it continues to decline. And there's no technological remedy has been proven effective for this. This is how it's going to be. Darkness. People have suggested darkness, paper bags, uh, duct tape, poor man's plastic surgery. I have learned how to do this. See? It's a dramatic and uh, But people don't do that. They do this. All you got to do is a little bit. That's the duct tape. I could put it right here. It'd be fantastic. I should... Uh, why aren't I doing that? <sighs> Enough of that. Where were we? We left off at the question of the resurrection of the Antichrist, specifically the manner and the conditions of his resurrection. Or to put it this way, by what means was he re resurrected? With what power was he resurrected? To recap, uh, for those who are unfamiliar with the mid-tribulational resurrection of the Antichrist, there is a cessation of judgment at the midpoint, an interlude, if you will, at the midpoint of the uh, tribulation. It's brief, though it is, but there is this desistance, a desistance, I guess more correct, that corresponds with the judgment seat of Christ. So here's my tribulation. Trumps, trumpets here, bowls over here, uh, 75 day interval, rest or millennium. That's beautifully written. Right here is the midpoint, and up here I have the judgment seat and the bema seat. Seed of Christ. And that is where believers are in front of Christ. And I wrote believers instead of Christ, didn't I? There, that could happen faster than you think. My decline. And of course down here, and also I have the resurrection of the Antichrist. In this interlude. So those are going on. 
And I, and I say there is a correspondence between the two. And as this happens now, while the judgment seat is occurring and the war on earth between the ten kings and the Antichrist is going on, am I dead here? No. I'm dead here. Huh. Don't want me to be alive. Here. Let's go back. You don't want me to be alive. Okay, thank you. <laughs> There's a war that explodes in heaven now. The Michael and his angelic forces are combating. They combat Satan and his forces, his armies. And on earth, the Antichrist attacks the ten kings of the world. And Satan is defeated. He is thrown to the earth. And the Antichrist is defeated. And he is killed, slain. The language infers that the Antichrist is beheaded. He's butchered. He's pierced. He's split open. He's dead. There is no room here to say otherwise. Those who will tell you that this is feigned or he swooned or he passed out or or it is a uh, trick, a fake, a death. There's just no room for it in the language. Then at this point, the Antichrist now resurrects after Satan is dropped and brought and the Antichrist resurrects and the world marvels and they worship the dragon They worship Satan, so there clearly is a relationship between Satan's fall to the earth and the Antichrist's resurrection. Satan is given credit for it, no question about that. And the dragon and the Antichrist now combine as a result of Satan's entering the scarlet beast, uh, which is Satan's son, it's Satan's seed. And now this incredibly powerful resulting entity comes into being, and it is the dragon beast. The red dragon, the scarlet beast, they're both red. Why are they red? And now this incredibly powerful thing, if you will, for lack of a better term, the evil thing, Christ is called the holy thing, there is an evil thing. Christ identifies who the evil thing is, says so. That one is the evil thing. You should find out who he says it is. In any event, the Antichrist dragon beast, I'll just call him the dragon beast, kills three of the ten iron mixed with clay kings and also kills the two witnesses. So three kings dead and the Antichrist also kills the two witnesses. And that is a big deal. And I said last week, these two are important to note as a a unit. So when he kills these two witnesses, remember the world is already marveling at him and now he is able to kill the two witnesses and he does so, or so it seems. He then, the dragon beast, seizes control. He destroys the great harlot, which is the ecclesiastical Babylon, and he replaces ecclesiastical Babylon with himself, and he desecrates the temple. He declares himself to be creator God and Messiah. He says, I am the creator. Worship me as God. I am the Messiah of the Jews. He establishes his mark. No one can buy or sell without his mark. It is a mark of worship. It's also got other elements to it. And the be- be- and he begins, the beast, dragon beast, begins killing Jews and Christians with fur fur So the second half of the tribulation is tremendous amounts of carnage. 
Not that the first wasn't, but it's accelerated. How come it's accelerated? Bible tells us. The dragon knows he's running out of time. He picks up the pace. And hopefully uh, everyone on the internet and here at least uh, have uh, an elemental grasp of those components. If you do not, don't despair. Repetition will continue to be enforced. That's my schematic, repeating the repeated. And obviously in the in my repeatings of the repeatings, I left out a few things from last week. I hope you know they're there, and I did it intentionally. I do it to, to tamp down the uh, or to limit the drool and to take advantage of the time that I had. That's the disadvantage of doing what I do. I have to repeat. That's very discouraging to those who are the most holy. I get that. But it's the only way it works. Uh, But mostly the key items of what I gave you, there's two key items in my view, the two with the most controversy. That's the resurrection of the Antichrist, by what means, by what power, and of course the killing of the two witnesses. Who exactly resurrected the Antichrist? That's the question we have tried to to dissolve here the last couple of weeks, including this week. And I suggested again that last Sunday the two witnesses uh, were killed by the Antichrist, or so it seems. Notice how I'm saying that. Why did God permit the Antichrist to kill his two witnesses? Why did God raise the Antichrist in the first place? Doesn't God know he'll go out and try to kill every Christian he can get? He'll kill every Jew he can get? Is that bad? Careful. Because that may not be bad. Why did he allow him to kill the two witnesses? Notice how I'm phrasing that. Giving God responsibility. Is that bad? That the two witnesses are killed. So those questions arise... And ultimately we end up, and I said they were intrinsically concerted, and I I think that's the case. You cannot study the resurrection of the Antichrist without studying the killing of the two witnesses at the same time. Both of them raise the question of Satan's limitations. By that I mean uh, this question. Can the dragon, the old serpent, can he resurrect the Antichrist? What does that require? That requires, can Satan restore, repair, reassemble a butchered, gutted, split open, pierced body? Does he have the intellect? Does he have the power? Can he even understand this body, how it is constructed? He's got to reconnect the nervous system. He's got to... uh, Institute or cause cellular regeneration, reverse the deep decomposition, reestablish the mind, the soul, spirit. No, you have to find the mind, the soul, and spirit, and reestablish it and put it in authority over the dead body. Can Satan reanimate the totality of a human being? Yes or no? I say no outside of his intellectual realm or level. Satan cannot do this. Only creator God himself, 
Only Jesus Christ. Christ alone is the resurrection and the life. The resurrection and the life. John 11.25 He is the light of life. He is the one that does it. If a resurrection from the dead has occurred, it's got to be the light of life. It's got to be the power of God. It is God who provides the uh, life force. It is God who has the omniscience that guarantees the intellect to do this. And past current, both past and current biological sciences, um, we can't even define life. If you have a biology uh, professor or teacher, he cannot define life. He can, uh, he, he can describe it, but he cannot give you a definition of it. What is it? Life can only come from life. So the life has to give life. That is the law of biogenesis that has never, in spite of the evolutionary, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The evolutionary atheist believes that the law of biogenesis has been violated to allow for the evolutionary process. Um, I, I think that that is a logically indefensible position, as you know. So if you think that Satan has this capability, if that's your view, uh, that he raised the Antichrist, I'm going to say that uh, you have to be under a strong delusion to think that Satan resurrected the Antichrist. And, and who would believe this? Who would be subject to such a foolish thinking? Uh, um, well, oh wait. 2 Thessalonians 2.7 There is a strong delusion that comes to the world. And my question last week is, is this strong delusion connected to the worship of the Antichrist and Satan as it pertains to the resurrection of the Antichrist? Does the world end up believing that Satan resurrected the Antichrist and has that kind of power? So, uh, that's where we've been. Now, as to the two witnesses, who are they? These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands of God. Zechariah 4, 11 through 14 and Revelation 11, 4. They are called the sons of fresh oil. There's two of them. And they are ridiculously powerful. And they come. God sends them to the earth. And he sends them to testify. Who is he testifying to? And they are both what? They are both Jews. And their job is to testify. To witness of the coming of Christ and the white throne judgment. Not to be confused with the judgment seat of Christ. And if anyone tries to harm the two witnesses while they are testifying, uh, a devouring fire of God proceeds out of their mouth. Revelation 11, 5. These two cannot be killed. It is impossible. But they're killed. The Antichrist is able to kill these guys. How is that so? We should read. So we will. Revelation 11, 7 through 10. 
when they finish their testimony. Uh, I'll wait before I erase that. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them, and their dead bodies will lie in the street, the great city which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt. What city is that? That's Jerusalem. But it's also called Sodom and Egypt spiritually at the time that these two men are killed. And in the past as well. Where also our Lord was crucified, just in case you don't think it's Jerusalem. Then those from the people's tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. So the world will watch these two men be killed, they will see them dead, and they will refuse to bury them. They want to look upon their dead bodies, and they do so for three and a half days. Ask why. Now some will say, well, it's disrespectful to not bury a Jew quickly. But that's not why they're doing it. They want those bodies to lay there. Now, it so happens they lay there for three and a half days. How long would they have laid there if the world could have let them lay there? See, the three and a half days had nothing to do with the world at all, right? It had everything to do with God. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another, because those two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. This is what we call Happy Dead Witnesses Day, or Merry Dead Witnesses Day, where we exchange presents. That's what they do. They're very excited that the two witnesses are dead. These ridiculously powerful two sons of oil from God came down and tormented the earth with their testimony. And boy, are they glad. They're dead. And somehow the Antichrist is able to kill them. Now, after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God, let me repeat that, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them, and they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Come up here, and they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. In the same hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake seven thousand people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. So there's your situation. How can this be? How can the dragon beast kill these two? It shouldn't have been possible, yet it is. And notice that the world marvels at the resurrection of the beast, and the world rejoices over the slain of the two witnesses. Both of those did not seem possible, and yet occurred. And I realize that many commentators take issue with when the two witnesses are killed. They they wish to see the book of Revelation as chronological, and I disagree, of course. I see the Hebrew principle of recurrence here, and no time to explain it. That's mostly for the vast Internet audience, which is neither vast uh, or necessarily an audience. Internet, we hope. Okay. Twice now, Dragon Beast has done clearly what is outside their capability. That's why I connect them together. The dragon beast resurrects the Antichrist, and the dragon beast 
kills the two witnesses, they shouldn't, the dragon base should not have been able to do either. And yet, seems to have done both. So what explains this? Well, Revelation 11, 7. When they finish the testimony, their testimony. So the two witnesses, when they have finished their job, when they finish what they were sent to do, when their task is complete, the implication is, is that the Antichrist is unable to affect them until they are done. And what are they done with exactly? What is their job? They have a job. Clearly it has some, it ends up tormenting the world. The world rejoices when they're dead. They are unkillable for the first half of the tribulation. They die in the middle of the tribulation. Three and a half years in, they lay dead for three and a half days. Probably not a coincidence. Notice also verse 11. 11. Let me repeat this one again. Now, after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. And that, Pinky, is the is what we're looking for right here. There is the final word, the terminal fact with respect to a resurrection. What's required for resurrection? These guys have been dead for three and a half years, or three and a half days, and the breath of God is what's required. The breath of God, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood, they arose. Let's continue reading. I did that already. I'm way ahead of myself. Note again how much corruption, decomposition, how much degeneration of cell structures takes place after a body is dead for three and a half days. Just asking. The breath of life comes. They are restored. Hopefully you see the order and the characteristics that accompany the breath of life because it's all there in context. Remember the question was, why did God allow the Antichrist to kill his two sons of oil? You wouldn't think that would be something that he would want to do. But clearly God is involved in this. This is part of his plan. How many times do you think the Antichrist tried to kill the two witnesses? Do you think this is his first shot at them? So how many shots did he take? How did it go? How do I know that everybody that tries to harm them gets devoured by fire? Because it tells me, you try to harm them, you get devoured by fire. Who had to learn that? It's kind of like a puffer fish to me. Who would eat a puffer fish? Somebody had to say, okay, there's a way to cook this so you don't die. Because they do it. It's in Japan, right? That's part of the allure of it. I have to be very careful how I, how I deal with this fish in order to prepare it. You have to have a license to prepare. If you have to have a license to prepare something, I'm not interested. I've yet to see anybody say you have to go to pizza school. So I like Kentucky Fried Chicken School. There's no school. <coughs> Who said you? Oops. You go take on the two witnesses, devoured by fire. I want to know who's the second guy. This reminds me of Elijah and the captains. 
Who thinks like this? How many people took on the two witnesses and we found out that you get devoured by fire? It's a suicide mission. But now all of a sudden it's able to kill them. How come? And how does the Antichrist know? Is he exempt from being devoured by fire? Would he have been devoured by fire? Now he knows he can kill them. He's already got the world worshiping him. He's already convinced the world that he is, he's done all of these things. Now he kills these two witnesses. How's his reputation going? Pretty strong, isn't it? Why would God allow the Antichrist, you combine the resurrection of the Antichrist and then his ability, or seeming ability, to kill the two witnesses, that is an elevation of him. Why does God do that? And that's the question. Why did God allow the Antichrist to kill his two sons of oil? And I attempt again to uh, imagine the process. Did the two witnesses resist when the Antichrist attacked him? What do you think? Did the fire come out and not affect the Antichrist? Did they fight? Now, they fought previously. Did they stop fighting? Did the Antichrist know they would stop fighting? Did the Antichrist know that it would be possible, the dragon beast in this case, did, they, did he know, did they know that they could kill them? Or seemingly, seemingly kill them? Did the two witnesses just stand still? Which causes the most obvious question to come to the table. God restored them with the breath of life. Did he remove his breath of life? Does that make sense? If I have to say that, it probably doesn't. Soul, spirits, minds of his two witnesses, did God remove that immediately prior to them being struck by the Antichrist? In other words, who killed the two witnesses? You do see, I hope, that God has to participate in this. The fire comes from him. The fire that devours comes from him. He has to shut the fire off at minimum. I'm saying to you that he has to participate at a whole great deeper level than that. Now why? I submit to the court, it should be you, that the ultimate of this is God's own crucifixion. How is it, imposs- how is it possible that a Roman soldier could drive a nail through Jesus' hand. That's God. That's his hand. Um, Eric was talking to me the other day about St. Nicholas. And so I did a little research to find out. But St. Nicholas um, uh, is reputed a legend that's uh, actually 600 years after the event happened. But there was a faction at the council in 325 that was called by Constantine to settle theological issues as to there was a faction that said Christ was not God. That faction, by the way, oh, really? That faction is uh, far more successful today than I think in any time in history. But there was a group that, uh, that, uh, that came forward and denied the deity of Christ. And St. Nicholas, Santa Claus, uh, 
the legend is, is that he went over and punched the man in the face. Now, that's why we like him. But that story didn't occur until 600 years after that council, and there's no, there's no information that says that, that is historical that occur. We have, we have um, um, writings from the time, 325 A.D., and there's nothing about St. Nicholas doing that. Uh, I hope he did it. That would be great. Unfortunately, the church today is overrun. There is no deity of Christ. Very little left in the church today, percentage-wise, generally speaking. I would say the percentage of churches that believe that Christ is God and uh, in the world today that are Christian or espoused to be Christian cannot exceed 2%. I'd be shocked if it did. And every time somebody tells me they believe in the deity of Christ, um, they don't. All I have to do is ask them a few questions. Find out that they don't have. You see, the, the orthodoxy is perfect humanity and full deity. Those is, that's what St. Nicholas fought for. That's why he punched the man in the face. Probably didn't happen. But let's say, let's go with it. St. Nicholas, the council of, uh, of, uh, it's, it escapes me. Nicaea council of, I can't, I can't pull it out anymore. I'm too old. They fought over full deity. You had, to, you had to have a full deity position. If you had even anything that was not full deity and anything that was not perfect humanity, you were condemned as a heretic. And that should be going on today. If I went around this city and just me, heretic disciple, if I got a little, little uh, maybe I'd have a uniform that looked like a... South American general. If I went around to be the heretic decider, I would be blasting churches like crazy. Because they don't have full deity and they do not have perfect humanity. Almost all of them I can think of off the top of my head. Whole denominations have imperfect humanity. And that's, that would have been condemned. And is, and rightfully so. Okay, where am I really? <coughs> Stop ranting. I'm saying that God's own crucifixion is the ultimate of this. How do you stick a spear in God's body? He has to participate. You recognize that? Has to. Uh, you don't have the strength. That little tiny soldier is going to, going to pierce the body of God? Jesus, God, must participate. These kinds of situations in Scripture really should lead us to ask, what is God doing here? What is actually going on? If I think that I can drive a nail through his hand or stick a spear in his body, and I think that's what's happening, I have that ability, that soldier did it. You'll hear people all the time say, the, 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 uh, the Romans killed God. Or the Jews killed Christ. It can't be. It's logically an indefensible position. So ask, what is God really doing? That's a simplified way of saying uh, we might wish to discard any shallow first interpretation and keep searching for his deeper purposes. He is infinite, omniscient God. After all, be respectful. He's thought this through. He is a comprehensive person. He isn't simple like us. We're the simple ones. 
Be suspicious of simplicity. We love the simple. That's who we are. God doesn't think like us. His thoughts are not like our thoughts. So returning to the resurrection of the Antichrist and the resurrection of the two witnesses, list makers got a list. So I'll put it on a list here, and hopefully that'll cement it in a little bit. And look at all of these pieces. And this isn't all of them. But notice that these pieces are here. That's very important. Three and a half days again. No one controls that, but who? God. They would have let them sit there for until nothing was left. They wanted to look at those dead bodies forever if they could have. But God changes it three and a half days in. Why not four? Why not seven? Why three and a half? breath of life. In order to have resurrection, I have to have the breath of life. And what's the, who sends it? God sends it. So who's got it? Does Satan have the breath of life? And there's implications to that. Now, right. And then they stood. So they arose. God does things for reasons. He wanted them to stand up, and he wanted everyone who was watching them, the whole world is watching them, they all stand up. There's this loud voice. Oh, I want to know what the loud voice of the breath of life and how they fit together. And I always ask this, how loud's loud? Five, come up here. What he says, come up here. Then the most interesting thing is, is uh, the pillar of cloud is there. That which was with the Jews at the Red Sea, then there's a great earthquake. Notice that as I have to get lower, my handwriting disintegrates. There's 7,000 that are dead. Not 6,999, not 7,004. 7,000. What killed them? A lot of people would say, well, they died in an earthquake. Maybe. The rest... The rest are afraid. Where are we? We're in Jerusalem. Who are the rest? They're afraid. Who are the 7,000 dead? And they gave the, the rest that are afraid, they gave glory to God. What's that sound like? There's your there's your hellfire and damnation sermon. People got the message here, huh? Obviously, all of these things, these events are present. All of those things happened because they had to happen. They must happen. They're there for a reason. In other words, the, the, the deaths and resurrections of the two witnesses are the beginnings, the introduction, if you will, to this. All of these things, that which follows that, 
the purpose of the resurrection is fulfilled by what occurred afterwards. The why God consents to their death in the first place. Because he wanted this to all happen. He allows them to be killed, so this will happen. How many gave glory to God? Where are we? Jerusalem. They see the pillar of cloud. My goodness, the pillar of cloud is overhead. They're Jews. They see this 7,000 dead. Let me, uh, let me put this in another way. What are the purposes of the tribulation, or what's called the time of Jacob's trouble? What's the three purposes? Do you remember? I hope you do. Because if you're reading the book of Revelation, as Bill the Cow said in the pregame, um, read it like a novel. It absolutely should be read that way. It is a, it has a, it's a story. So one of the purposes is, of course, is to end the wicked ones. And their wickedness. Who are the wicked ones? The wicked ones are Satan. Put an end to the wickedness of the wicked ones. That's Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Another thing, of course, is to turn the stubbornness, the stiff-neckedness. Is that a word? Stiff-neckedness? Sound, doesn't sound... Doesn't sound like a, a clothing issue, doesn't it? I've got to be a little careful here. That will be the last time I say stiff-neckedness. Actually, that's kind of cool. Who writes the jokes for this guy? You want to know? But he wants to turn the stiffness or the stubbornness. What are they stubborn about? Of the Jews. What are they stubborn about? What today, if I could define today the stubbornness of the Jews, what is it? That's right. They refuse to believe that Jesus Christ is God, the Messiah of the Jews. And you can't, they're stubborn. And one of the purposes of the tribulation is to stop that, is to turn them. He's going to make them come to Christ. Him. Christ is making them come to him. Come to me, he said. The third thing is, is salvation for the world. That's the purpose of the tribulation. What's God doing? He's saving people. What's his name? The last one is primarily the intention of Christ. Christ is always saving. His very name is salvation. Yahshua is salvation. That's what his name is. Hi, what's your name? My name is salvation. It's what I do. I'm always doing it. He's still always doing it. So did anybody get saved here? Yeah, right here. How many? The reason the Antichrist is able to kill the two witnesses is because Christ intends to save people. And he does. Whenever we see Christ or hear him, as in his case, he says, come up here to the two witnesses. Here's his loud voice. Here's his breath of life. Whenever we see him, we should ask ourselves, who's getting saved here? He's the evangelist. Uh, the, you know, we, we revere 
men here in this country. Uh, Christ, what he does is indescribable. But that's our foundation. Who is he saving? So let's look again at the list. The, the pillar of cloud has come. Do you suppose that the Jews in Jerusalem noticed that? You think they knew what it was? It's described beautifully in Ezekiel 1.4. Gosh, I have time. Let me do it. This is what they saw. Hurry. You're supposed to be a professional. Here it is. Then I looked and behold, a whirlwind was coming out of the north, a great cloud with raging fire engulfing itself, and brightness was all around it, and it was radiating out of its mist like the color of amber out of the mist of the fire, and from within it came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. Each one had four faces. Each one had four wings. Their legs were straight. The soles of their feet were like the soles of calves' feet. They sparkled like the color of a burnished bronze. The hands of, of a man were under their wings on their four sides. Each had the, of the four had faces and wings. Their wings touched one another. The creatures did not turn when they went, but each one went straight forward. Goes on. Burning like coals of fire. The noise was amazing. That's what came. The pillar of cloud and Christ is on his throne inside the pillar of cloud. The Jews would know what it was. That's there. So who are the 7,000 that got killed? Who killed the 7,000? The pillar of cloud, who's that? That's Christ himself on the throne with his four cherubim. An unbelievable sight. And he killed 7,000 people. Who do you suppose this is 7,000? Who just killed the two witnesses? Antichrist. How many guys you think he brought? He thought it was going to be simple? Okay, I need a few thousand. Because you're going to get what? Let me take on these two witnesses. What's going to happen? Fire is going to get you. You guys go first. That didn't happen. But now it happens. The pillar of cloud comes and there are 7,000 Antichrist troops dead. So who's the rest? Is that more of his troops or is that the Jews in Jerusalem who see the pillar of cloud, who see the resurrection? Okay, come up here, loud voice, how loud. It's deafening. It causes an earthquake. A tenth of the city collapses. This is the second come up here in the book of Revelation. It happens in Revelation 4.1. And I believe that that is the catching up of the bride. So the Jews have heard this voice before. I won't go into the sign of Lot's wife just for the sake of of your sanity. But great fear comes to Jerusalem. And define now for me fear of God. What does fear of God, great fear mean? Great fear has come to Jerusalem and it results in salvation. So make sure your definition uh, includes giving glory to God. So who was saved? Is it good? Is, is resurrecting the two witnesses, is this a good thing? Well, yeah, people got saved. 
the pillar of cloud came. He attaches the, himself, Christ attaches the pillar of cloud to the come up here, to the resurrection of the two witnesses, which requires what? That they be dead three and a half days. He's saving somebody with all of this, isn't he? Yes, it's good. God is omnibenevolent. He's always pure good. Is it good that God ends wickedness? Yes. It's good. Why did God resurrect the Antichrist? How is that good? Is it good? Yeah. How is it salvific? That's a doctrinal word meaning who got saved by the resurrection of the Antichrist? Ask that question. Because I'm going to tell you that you you see the salvation that is here with the resurrection and the killing first of of the two witnesses. If the two witnesses are not killed, none of these ten things happen. How do I know that? Somebody said, well, he could have done it another way. He's omniscient. So let me repeat. Omniscience demands that all of these things are there. That's where you have to have for Christ full deity. Okay. If you wish to put it this way, how is it that the resurrection of the Antichrist is the ending of the wicked ones and their wickedness? It looks like he resurrected them and he became more wicked and he killed more people. How is it by resurrecting him I'm ending his wickedness? Who among the stubborn Jews turned from their unbelief because the Antichrist has the breath of life? Because the Antichrist has to have the breath of life put into him, sent to him by who? God, who among the Gentile nations believes in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, as a result of the breath of life from God, coming into the dismembered, gutted, slaughtered, butchered, dead body of the scarlet beast? Who knows that God did it? Somebody knows. And if you didn't know then, you know now. He proves it with the two witnesses. What do you think? The Antichrist did to the bodies of the two witnesses. And just kind of just leave them there. Or did he have, he make sure everyone knew they were dead. And that, those pieces are laying in the streets, right? Put their heads on a stick. Let the birds come for the bodies. What did he do? Did the birds, you think, come for the body? That's a question I ask all the time for crucifixion lectures. It's very common, very common when you've got a guy tied up on a cross that the birds come down and eat the eyes out of the living man. Happens really fast. Try it sometime. Um, but that's what happens. The birds will come for the eyes. Do you think the birds came for the eyes of Christ? Oh, I don't think so. Notice a couple of things here. The breath of life is from God. Only God has it. He is the singular source of the life breath because he's the singular source of life. Satan and the beast know this. Not so much mankind. 
And this all starts with the first come up here of Revelation, Revelation 4.1, the gathering of the bride, the sign of the taking of the bride, the sign of the taken bride. Prior to uh, the tribulation, All of this happens in Revelation 4.1. Notice that the, it's all about the church until Revelation 4.1, and then now it's all about the Jews until Christ returns, Revelation 19 and 20. How much time has elapsed from the taking of the bride to the killing of the two witnesses? I'm pointing at something that isn't on the board in case you wonder if I'm completely crazy now. Not completely. How much time has arised from the taking of the bride to this event? We don't know. By no one's book. But we do know this, that we have a war in heaven that starts because there are people at the throne. Some, who they are, we're not completely positive of. There are positions. Uh, you'll infer my position. Obviously, I think the bride is there. I also recognize a whole bunch of people have died in the tribulation that were saved. But anyway, uh, apart from that, Satan is accusing them. He is the accuser of the saved. That's what he does. So what is he accusing the saved of? What do you think he's doing? David's turn. Supper Dave's turn. He's standing there. What's Satan accusing Supper Dave of? Or any of you? Put yourself there. What's he accusing you of? How many are there? How many are there? Lots are there. Uncountable, maybe. Lots, lots, and lots. Not uncountable, but... Millions and millions and millions. Hundreds of millions. So Satan is accusing them. And pressure is building. Because he gets, he doesn't get to accuse them much longer, does he? Again, what's he accusing them of? Does he have an exhaustive file on each and every one in this group that is before the throne? Is he accusing these people, you, me? Is he accusing us of our sins? Is Satan omniscient? No. How good of a file does he have on you? Don't assign him capabilities that he doesn't have. Don't assign him capabilities that only God has. Is he going person by person and saying that uh, Steve Chronister wore the wrong tie? Which he did. But this is what you get. Um. Does he have those kinds of... Would he even waste his time? Notice my... Uh, I just gave you my position. Would he do this? What's he accusing all of these people of? Or Obviously, he's got something. Satan, the word actually means... Satan means the enemy. The literal meaning is enemy. Is consistently before the throne. Think of it as a courtroom, because it is. He goes to the courthouse all the time. He places an accusation into the record. By researching the book of Job, we can find out what he says. We can glean it, because that's where he did it, as far as we know. Um, that's where it's recorded, at least. At least some of what he's saying. And so I have Satan going up there, 
I have Christ up there. Jesus Christ is currently functioning as high priest for us. He's the intermediary. He's the intermediate. He is our public defender. No charge. He's also the judge. Helps out. That's a good deal for us, wouldn't you say? But on the other side is Satan. So that's what's going on. And then imagine the scene if you can. Satan in opposition to Christ, the angelic host, both the fallen and the unfallen, are present here at this judgment seat of Christ. It's not on the board, but I'm pointing to it as if it was, because I'm half crazy now. Which is good news. i got half to go. Bad news is the process is accelerating right before your eyes. But Satan is there, and the unfallen, and the fallen are there. How do I know that? Plus this mass of resurrected, about-to-be-resurrected people. And resurrected people. How do I know the fallen and the unfallen are there? Because they fight. And they fight because of what goes on here. They're allowed. God allows them to fight each other. Same reason he raises the Antichrist. Same reason he uh, uh, allows the two witnesses to be killed. Think like God thinks as best you can. It's impossible. He's omniscient. But at least figure out that he's got a plan. This isn't happening outside of his control. It's following his order. So, on one side is the fallen, the other side is the unfallen angels. Just imagine that scene. We'll be there. Will we get to see the war in heaven? Yes. That'll be incredible. And we'll know why. And we'll know what he's accusing us of. Judgment seat of Christ, the church, the bride of Christ. Tribulational saints. Again, I've been arguing that this time... This particular accusatory event is what initiates the war in heaven. To make that as clear as I can. In the case of Job, so let's back up to Job. See what Satan did there. Satan is allowed to mess with Job. If you've read the story, he can test his premise. Satan has a premise. He presents it to God. God says, have you been walking the earth? What do you think of Job? Now, keep in mind, this is... Uh, God explaining complex things in a, in a way for us to understand. You have an omniscient outside of time God talking to Satan. In front of who? The fallen and the unfallen because they're all still there. Got access. And Satan has a premise. You remember his premise? Have you ever read the story? The premise is, is that Job is faithful. Job's faithfulness, Job's belief uh, is conditional. And it's conditional upon God's protection. You remove your protection, Job falls, falls like, a, like a lawn chair. That's the premise. And so God says, okay, let's go ahead and do the, do the uh, investigative analysis on it. And Satan is allowed. Back I go. The Antichrist is allowed. The two witnesses. All of this permission. The angels are allowed to fight. All of this happens. There is this element of God's permission. He allows Satan to attack Job's possessions, his welfare, his children. But Satan was not given the ability to kill Job physically. Can't take his life. As a result, Job suffers tremendously to the point 
Famously, Job uh, 2 9, where Job's wife screams at him and says, Curse God and die. So Job's wife didn't hold on so good. But Job does not. Job maintains that God is good. Admittedly, that's a cursory representation, but for today, keep that in mind. Back to the loud voice. Revelation 12, 10 through 11, there's a loud voice. It says, now salvation, Christ, strength, kingdom of God, power of Christ have come. And the accuser is cast down and overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of the testimony of the people who are at the throne. And those people did not love their lives to the death. Okay? So the loud voice makes a a statement prior to casting down Satan. He says, the accusing and the accuser will end. There's no more accusing. The situation is settled. The issue is settled. The verdict is rendered at the court. He renders his judgment. The evidence is overwhelming and it's final. That's what happens in Revelation 12 during that war. Or starts the war. So what's the issue? What did get got settled here? And all we have is the process of elimination. We can narrow it significantly. The bride is being accused. Satan is denying the salvation of the bride, and he's denying that the blood of the Lamb is uh, is sufficient. He's saying that it is insufficient. He's challenging the blood of the Lamb. And Satan has modified, he's adjusted his contention since Job. Job's belief was proven not subject to his possessions or his health or his children. The stains at the judgment seat, I'm sorry, the blood at the judgment seat, there are people who, uh, who did not love their lives to the death. So I have the same thing. Saint, the saints did not love their lives to the death. Job's belief was, was not subject to his health or his children's death or his possessions. Which is proof of their understanding, by the way, of the, of the saints. They understood and their belief in Christ was such, as was Job's, they believed that Christ would resurrect and fully restore them. So they had no fear of death. They didn't fear the loss of their own lives. Think about the position they're in. Of course they didn't. They're in the tribulation. They know what's going to happen. And so all of that uh, is on the table here. They recognize that uh, Christ would resurrect them because he wants to resurrect them. He's willing to do so, and he's the only one who is able to do so. Christ is possessive of the breath of God because he is God. And all that now helps us understand that Satan is attacking belief. He isn't reciting a list of sins that you've done. He's not omniscient. He's attacking the system of salvation. We see that in Luke 16 as well. Lazarus and the rich Pharisee. The rich Pharisee was repeatedly bringing charges against Christ, saying that Christ had unfairly and unjustly condemned him. And if God is unfair or unjust, then God is evil. Anyway, Satan likewise attacking salvation by grace through belief in the cleansing sin or and the cleansing of sin with the blood of Christ. For example, let me go this way and then I'll get you out of here. This is a harder part, I know. 
Let's ask a couple of questions in a way that Satan might ask them. How much belief is necessary for salvation? You make me an offer. How much belief do you have to have? Do you believe more than him? If you believe more than him, did he fall below the belief tolerance line? You must believe above this line in order to be saved. Do you have enough belief to be saved? Who is the measurer of belief? Is it really belief if it is given to you, if it is imparted? I'm trying to construct for you the accusations of Satan. In other words, to repeat that, is it really belief if it is imparted? That's similar to the Job example, isn't it? If God provides the belief, is it really belief? If God protects you, are you really believing? Take away your protection. He will, he will not believe. We are saved by grace through faith. Satan would know that, wouldn't he? My goodness, he reads the material. He would understand that we are saved by grace through faith. I have a whole bunch of millions and millions, tens of millions of people in front of the judgment seat of Christ, and they are being declared saved. All of them. Satan would attack the premise of their salvation, would he not? He would relentlessly attack it. Next time, we will attempt to replicate his attack. That's Revelation 12, 10 through 12, for those of you who want to read ahead and see if we can derive the specifics of the proceedings, exact out the arguments and why judgment was rendered against him, the proof that he was wrong. And it was proven to not just the saints who knew it. I mean, I'm going to know he's wrong, because if he wasn't wrong, I wouldn't be there. The angelic realm fight a war over it, don't they? And that's where we'll go when we return.